This is Market Currents from Northern Trust, where we explore facts, patterns, and expert opinions to answer today's most difficult market questions. Welcome to Market Currents. I'm Katie Nixon, Chief Investment Officer for Wealth Management at Northern Trust. We're here to talk about how investors should be thinking about fixed income, which is always an incredibly important topic, but all the more so given the massive move we've had in interest rates in the U.S. in 2022. So the first quarter of this year produced some pretty disappointing and negative returns across the U.S. bond markets as persistently rising inflation caught the U.S. Federal Reserve and really most bond investors flat-footed and very much in catch-up mode. U.S. Treasuries, taxable corporate bonds, and municipal bonds all posted negative returns, and even Treasury inflation-protected securities ended the quarter in the red. Naturally, this has led many investors to rethink the role of fixed income, and for some to actually contemplate abandoning bonds altogether. We disagree and go back to one of the core tenets of our investment philosophy, assets serve a purpose. So what is the purpose of fixed income in portfolios today? Let's bring in our expert for a discussion. I'm so pleased to welcome Pete Ladina, Northern Trust Wealth Management's Director of Portfolio Research, who's going to help us dig into this topic. Pete, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Katie. So, Pete, let's start out maybe with some level setting and some foundational concepts. Um, can you talk to us about what we mean at Northern when we distinguish risk assets from risk control assets, and then maybe hit on the unique role that risk control assets play in a portfolio? Sure, Katie, absolutely. So here at Northern, we compose portfolios basically with two sub-portfolios, a risk control sub-portfolio and a risk asset uh, sub-portfolio. And the risk control portfolio is a safe asset portfolio composed of cash, conventional high-grade bonds, and inflation-protected bonds. Um, On the other hand, the risk asset portfolio is essentially a return-seeking portfolio of diversified risky assets. Now, in the case of the risk control portfolio, what is the role? Well, The role is to provide more stable periodic returns and diversifying uncorrelated returns, uh, and also to fund high priority goals. And in contrast to that, the role of the risk asset portfolio is essentially to maximize diversified return and to fund longer term goals. So, Pete, in this asset allocation framework that you describe, where we have sort of these two super asset classes, we have risk asset and risk control, the balance between these two assets is really dictated by an investor's risk preference, um, you know, how much risk they want to take or how much risk they need to take, and how we manage risk through the balance between those risk and risk control assets. And we know, you and I both know, risk means different things to different investors. We know there are all kinds of different investors from pension funds, endowment portfolios, to living, breathing people who invest. How do you think about the different definitions of what risk really means across investors? And therefore, does the role of risk control change depending on what kind of investor you are? So that's a great question, Katie. And you're absolutely right about that. Sort of, you know, the role of risk control to some degree depends on the type of investor. And sort of at the highest level, there are two types of investors. Um, One we'll refer to as an asset-only investor. The other would be a liability relative or goals-based investor. Now let's start with an asset-only investor. An asset-only investor has no explicit goals or liabilities. The relative risk, the relevant risk to an asset-only investor is absolute risk or maybe standard deviation. Um, now, the, uh, in this case, and I mentioned this earlier, the risk control portfolio, the role of the risk control portfolio is really to control total portfolio risk with more stable and uncorrelated returns. 
In contrast to the asset-only investor who has no explicit goals or liabilities, um, we can talk about the liability relative or goals-based investor. The purpose of the risk control allocation for the goals-based investor is really to secure or hedge high priority goals. For this investor, um, the relative risk is not the absolute risk or standard deviation, but rather the risk in relation to funding the stream of final payoffs associated with the goal. This risk, again, is not standard deviation or absolute risk, but, but rather the excess risk, also sometimes called tracking error, relative to the goal. So again, for this goals-based investor, the role of risk control is to hedge high-priority goals. Now, the truth of the matter is most investors actually have goals and liabilities, whether explicitly stated or not. So, if, you know, for, goal, for investors that do have those objectives, the optimal asset allocation should incorporate those goals and should consider risk in relation to those goals. So although many uh, investors act as if they are asset only, a more optimal solution for them would be to uh, incorporate goals or liabilities into the optimal asset allocation solution. And using the risk control allocation as a goal hedge, we can really properly construct that risk control allocation to secure that goal or to hedge it by minimizing the excess risk relative to the goal. And here's the key that creates the hedge. When we properly design that risk control allocation, the market value of that risk control or bond allocation moves up and down with the present value of the goal, effectively creating that goal hedge. So you can see that for that goals-based investor, the relative risk is really not the volatility of the fixed income allocation that moves up and down, but rather the risk in relation to funding that stream of final payoffs that are associated with the goal. Pete, that is such an important and really a fundamental question investors should ask themselves. What does risk really mean to you? And for most, risk means the un that uncertainty around funding your goals. So in this world of the taxable investor, the family or the individual with actual goals to fund, how do the concepts that you just described actually come to life? What are the practical applications of, of what you describe for a normal investor? So I think, Katie, here at Northern, we have a good example of sort of a special case of a goal hedge. Um, we call it the portfolio reserve, and it's a special type of goal hedge that secures a targeted number of years of lifestyle consumption. Now, an investor, for most private investors, you know, lifestyle consumption is their primary goal or, you know, perhaps their most important goal. And, you know, and again, this special type of goal hedge we call the portfolio reserve, an investor is going to select a targeted number of years of their remaining lifetime to essentially hedge or secure that lifestyle goal. Um, now, if they choose to actually secure their entire lifetime of, of consumption, they would have a full hedge. That would be that the entire lifetime consumption goal would be secured by the portfolio reserve. Um, now, most investors uh, choose to either, you know, they have a higher preference for risk or maybe they need higher return to be able to achieve all of their goals. In this case, instead of a full hedge, a partial hedge, um, a partial hedge may be appropriate. So for example, um, hedging, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 years of the remaining lifetime with the portfolio reserve. Now, making it come to life, as you asked, Katie, recognizes that we need to mitigate the five key risks of using fixed income to fund goals. Those risks are liquidity risk, interest rate risk, default risk, inflation risk, and let's call the fifth one the risk of paying unnecessary tax. 
And so as we construct or design a customized portfolio reserve for a client, not only do they need to select the targeted number of years of lifestyle they want to hedge out or secure with their goal hedge, but we need to construct that goal hedge to mitigate these five risks. So for example, liquidity risk in the portfolio reserve, we want to hold enough cash to fund lifestyle over the next year. Not all fixed income, even high-grade municipal bonds are super liquid. And so having enough cash to fund lifestyle over the next year um, mitigates significantly that liquidity risk. The second risk is the risk of unexpected changes in interest rates. And the key really to mitigating rate risk is to match the average duration of bonds in the risk control allocation to the average uh, years of lifestyle funded by the portfolio reserve. Now, in practice, you, instead of duration, you could actually match the average maturity of bonds to the average year of, of years of lifestyle funded by the portfolio reserve. And that's a sufficiently close approximation for reducing excess risk. So that maturity or duration matching is really key. And that's one part of creating that goal hedge where the present value of the goal moves in tandem with the market value of the, of the bonds. The third risk, default risk, is, is really critical to mitigate. And we do that by utilizing high-grade bonds. Um, we, can, we can own high-yield and lower-quality bonds, but let's own them as part of the risk asset allocation rather than the goal hedge. Uh, in the portfolio reserve, we do not want to hold um, high-yield bonds um, because that will undermine our ability to fund these goals uh, over time. It, ru it runs the risk of undermining our ability to fund those goals because of the higher default risk in high-yield bonds. Again, not saying there's no role for high-yield bonds, but let's own them in the risk asset allocation with other risky assets. The fourth risk we want to mitigate is inflation risk. I mean, one thing we've found is that bond markets have historically not done a great job of anticipating future inflation. And so we want to make sure we own inflation-protected bonds like TIPS in our portfolio reserve. And our research suggests at least owning 20 per, a 20% allocation uh, within the risk control allocation to TIPS. And the truth of the matter is, for longer duration goals, like for example, utilizing the portfolio reserve to fully hedge the lifestyle goal may call for higher allocations to TIPS, uh, up to perhaps 35%. Um, and then the fifth risk we wanna mitigate is paying unnecessary tax. And so we can still construct a very tax efficient goal hedge by utilizing high-grade municipal bonds for our conventional bond allocation and for locating TIPS uh, in tax-favored accounts, the degree to which we own, we, you know, we have, um, have tax-favored accounts, tax-deferred accounts, um, and tax-exempt accounts where we can own the TIPS allocation. Um, the truth of the matter is, in addition to TIPS, uh, there's a, there are products that have inflation-protected protected municipal bonds, and that can play you know, a, a role in um, mitigating inflation risk in a tax efficient way. But for what it's worth, we've also found that the role of TIPS is so important that, you know, even if there are not sufficient assets available in tax favored accounts, um, the role of TIPS in taxable accounts still is extremely important. So investors who do not have sufficient assets in tax favored accounts should still hold TIPS in taxable accounts. Now, importantly, these steps significantly eliminate the dispersion or risk in final goal funding outcomes. See, that's the key. The, um, this portfolio reserve may have the, the volatility of the broad bond market, but it would be well aligned with the goal, with that stream of final payoffs 
so that the dispersion around funding that stream of final payoffs is minimal. At the end of the day, we have minimal dispersion in final goal funding outcomes. And that's the key to designing a, you know, a well-constructed goal hedge, in this case of the portfolio reserve as an example. Pete, it's so interesting because I think your, your point about the correlation between the goal hedge and investors' goals is one that is perhaps worth reiterating here because I think that's what gets lost in the shuffle as investors look at their bond portfolios, volatility, or they worry about uh, the, um, the falling in principal value of their goals. They forget about the purpose that that asset it was expressly aligned against. Can you go a little bit more into the impact of, of rising rates on this goal hedge and sort of how that correlation works in practice? Right. I mean, what's, what's nice about being a goals-based or a liability relative investor is you actually have more tools at your disposal for risk management. And this is a great example of an additional tool that a goals-based investor has that an asset-only investor doesn't necessarily have. So this duration matching of you know, the risk control allocation with the goal profile is sort of you know, a, a really key component to managing interest rate risk. You know, at the end of the day, the goals-based investor, the liability uh, relative investor, is constructing the portfolio with the objective in mind in achieving, you know, funding that, um, you know, sort of that stream of final payoffs. And so, again, in matching or aligning the duration of the bond portfolio with the duration or maturity of essentially the goal profile significantly reduces that excess risk. Um, so that at the end of the day, the you know, present value of goals moves up and down with the um, market value, with the you know, market value of the bond allocation. So in the case of rising interest rates, and again, I'll point out, not just rising interest rates, but more importantly, unexpected uh, increases in interest rates, because it's all about expectations. Bond markets already digest and incorporate expectations about future uh, interest rates into current bond prices, and I'll get into that in a moment. Um, but in terms of uh, you know mitigating or hedging um, uh, you know sort of unexpected increases in interest rates, this asset liability matching approach significantly mitigates that risk. So in the case of a well-constructed portfolio reserve or goal hedge, right, with ri unexpected rising interest rates. Um, sure, bonds are going to go down, and so will your goal hedge. They will move down in value, but at the same time, the present value of your goals also reduces with a higher interest rate regime. And so the whole idea is you have this alignment between the cost of your goals and the value of your goal hedge or your portfolio reserve, and that they move in tandem. So although you may lose in the market value of goals, you equally gain by the reduction in the cost of funding those goals. And it's that alignment for sort of a goals-based investor whose main objective, again, is funding that stream of final payoffs, who, has, who is focused on risk in relation to funding that stream of final payoffs, really benefits. Now, in contrast to the goals-based investor, the asset-only investor doesn't necessarily have sort of a target duration or maturity because they have no explicit goals or liabilities. Now, in the case of most asset-only investors, if they thought about it for a moment, they may actually have a set of goals or liabilities, and perhaps they should think about becoming a goals-based or liability-relative investor. It's a more sophisticated approach to asset allocation. There are more tools for risk management at your disposal. But let's say you are a true asset-only investor. You have no goals or liabilities. Well, 
in this case, you don't have a, a duration or maturity to, uh, to target. And so you don't have this additional tool to manage interest rate risk with. And so in this case, it's hard to argue against, in my view anyway, uh, an allocation to the market-weighted portfolio of maturities. And the reason I say that is because, again, like I said, if bond markets are highly competitive pricing engines, and there's lots of evidence for this, um, you know, for example, the prevalence of alpha amongst bond, mar bond managers uh, is very low, um, indicating that you know, bond markets are highly competitive pricing engines. So if bond markets do a good job of anticipating future interest rates, then those interest rates are probably already baked into current prices. So I think the current state is a good example of that, where, for example, um, you know, there is an anticipation of rising interest rates, but the reality is, is that you know, the Fed funds rate is, already, is still pretty close to zero. But bond markets have already adjusted pricing considerably in anticipation of higher future um, Fed funds rates, for example. And so, you know, again, at the end of the day, what the market is doing is quickly trying to digest information and baking in expectations to the point that, you know, perhaps rising rates are already baked into the cake. And so that's why I say if you don't have, if you're an asset only investor and you don't have a maturity or duration target to work with, then, you know, that market portfolio of maturities, which on average is going to be sort of intermediate in term, that market portfolio market-weighted portfolio of maturity is probably a good place for most investors, most asset-only investors to be. Um, it'll capture maturities across the yield curve from the shortest maturities to the longest maturities. And again, if bond markets are trying to anticipate, um, anticipate future interest rates, those, that, that anticipation should already be baked into current prices. Pete, I think you raised so many great points um, in that answer. And I, I think one of the best points you raised is that even an asset-only investor, if they really thought um, about their profile, would, would come to the conclusion that they were really a goals-based investor because there are always liabilities to be met, even if they're just fees. There are always liabilities um, to be met. So I love, I love that. And I think for the individual investor, of course, that what you describe in our goals-based framework and our portfolio reserve concept is just a much more sophisticated approach to asset management that really allows you to assess your risk tolerance or your risk preference specifically in the context of funding your goals and then using all the tools that you describe to manage risk. Um, and I, I love that you said, and I agree, that a goals-based investor just has more tools to use to manage and mitigate their specific risk profile. Um, so I just want to thank you for sharing your insights, Pete. Very interesting always, but again, more so given the, the sharp move that we've had in rates and the questions that investors are naturally asking themselves. So thank you so much again for sharing your insights and I wanna thank everyone for listening. This is Market Currents from Northern Trust, where we explore facts, patterns, and expert opinions to answer today's most difficult market questions.